Good to see you guys. Hey, there's uh, about 150 households represented here, okay? So several hundred people. There's 100 other households that are tuning in online right now, live, on YouTube Live. So can we just give them some love real quick? Okay, like Billy said, we are in Ephesians 5. Uh, real quick, I want to give an update on the Chaddock family. If you don't know, uh, Tim Chaddock is joining our team at Reality Ventura. He's not starting until January, but if this is totally news to you and you're like, what is happening? Uh, go watch an up- the update from August. But Tim's joining our team in August, I'm sorry, in January, uh, but they are here. They ha- are in California Um, They did find a place, by the grace of God, 70 people were interested in this uh, little house over here in Ventura. If that was, if you were one of them, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, But they got it, praise God. Um, They're moving in August, uh, October 1st. Um, But it didn't come with any appliances and and they're moving back from London. So they got nothing, right? Uh, And they didn't ask us to do this, but I heard about it. And I was like, dude, how cool would it be if we kind of like, uh, rallied to get them some appliances as a church. So if you've got like a, a fridge that's in good condition that you're wanting to bless somebody with, it's a normal size, like 35 inches wide or whatever, uh, and a washer and dryer that's in good condition, or you got some cash, you, God bless you with money, and you're like, here's a couple thousand dollars to get what you need. Um, that would be such a gift to them. You can email us at info at realityventura.com uh, if you want to be a part of that. All right, we are in Ephesians 5. We're looking at verses 22 through 33. The title of this sermon is The Reason for Marriage. By show of hands, if you are either hoping to get married, are currently, or are currently married, can you just raise your hand? All right, cool. My goal today is to both call us up to a higher calling in marriage and to also hopefully liberate many of us from false ideas about marriage that can often lead us to things like frustration, um, disappointment, and even confusion. This will be part one of a two-part series on marriage. Ephesians 5, we'll start in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of His wife is Christ as head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Before I keep going, um, I just need to say that this is one of the most misunderstood, misused, and abused passages in all of Scripture. Really quick, we're not going to get into it today, but the Bible does not teach a hierarchy in marriage um, as some have led us to believe. We are going to get into depth on what all the verses of this passage mean, what what they do mean, what they don't mean, specifically this little passage we just read. And I'm going to have my wife join me for that one um, in part two of this. But we're not teaching on that today, but I did feel like I I needed to say that um, before we got into this today. We'll continue on here. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Here's how he did it. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing 
of God's word. Jesus did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she, the church, us, will be holy and without fault. Somebody say amen. Amen. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his, Jesus' body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of God for us today, church. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am aware today that there are some here who are seeking marriage, um, some who are building marriages, and some who are just trying to save their marriage. Thank you that you are able to minister to each one here. For those, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that your truth about marriage would set people free today. For those seeking marriage, we ask that you'd give a right perspective on it. For those of us who are already in it, we ask that you would also give us the right perspective. And for those who have been gifted with uh, the gift of celibacy or are choosing to remain single, we ask that you would give them also insight into what marriage uh, is about according to you so that they can minister and pray to their brothers and sisters who are married or will be someday. For the person here today who doesn't know you, we ask that you would show them your great love even as we talk about this thing that actually reflects your, your relationship with us. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I heard a story about an elderly man named Eugene who was once invited to an event for his friend Robert. It had been years since he had seen or heard from his friend Robert. And because he knew Robert was getting very old in years, uh, he was delighted to receive an invitation in the mail that read, Come celebrate the life of Robert McDonald, assuming it was a birthday party for his old friend Robert. Assuming such, he prepared for the birthday party, knowing his friend Robert was a longtime surfer with a sunny Fun disposition, he dressed himself in a Hawaiian shirt, flip-flops, and a multicolored birthday hat and showed up at this event. You can imagine his surprise when he arrived to see people dressed in dark clothes, suits, and dresses. Confused about exactly what was happening, Eugene went about treating, about treating everyone as if it was Robert's birthday. He was full of smiles, making jokes, even poking fun at his old friend, Robert. But he could not avoid the fact that Robert was nowhere to be found and could not avoid the fact that it kept getting more and more awkward as more and more people arrived seeing him dressed in his festive gear, making his jokes. A pastor soon came and invited people to be seated. Eugene thought it to be a strange thing to do at a birthday party, but went along with it nonetheless. As the pastor began to speak, Eugene soon realized that this was no birthday party at all. He had been invited to a funeral. He slowly removed his party hat, and with a single single tear rolling down his face, he smiled and began to reminisce on the life 
of his old friend, Robert. A right perspective changes everything, right? A celebration of life funeral is different, no doubt, than a birthday party, but it can still be a joyous, a very joyous occasion. However, a celebration of life funeral that you think is a birthday party will only be confusing and humiliating. A national survey on the meaning of marriage revealed that the majority of Americans believe that, a, that marriage is primarily about having one's own personal needs and desires met. It's really this idea of a soulmate that we're looking for. If I can just find the right person, then they will somehow complete something that is missing or lacking in my life. Emily and I got married very young. She was 19, I was 20, fell in love her senior year of high school. Both of our parents had been divorced, and so we feared uh, marrying the wrong person. So we asked God to speak to us and show us who our spouse was. Uh, when he did, we also assumed that that meant the other one was perfectly compatible for us. We were in for a big surprise when uh, our first big disagreement and silent treatment showed up on our honeymoon <laughs> just a few days after we were married. We started to realize, oh no, maybe uh, we weren't as perfectly compatible as we thought. Tim Keller writing on the subject says, as a pastor, I've heard married couples say over and over, love shouldn't be this hard. In response, I always say something like, why believe that? Would someone who wants to play professional baseball say, it shouldn't be so hard to hit a fastball? The understandable retort is, but this is not baseball, this is love. Love should just come naturally if two people are compatible, if they are truly soulmates. The Christian answer to this is that no two people are compatible. He goes on to talk about how even if you find someone who seems to be perfectly compatible for you, marriage has a way of changing people, right? And no one can know exactly how the other person will change until you actually get married. Each spouse, he says, must, must then learn to love a person who can almost at times seem like a stranger. And a this can lead, he says, to a strong and tender marriage eventually, but it won't necessarily be because someone married someone perfectly compatible for that person does not exist. A false understanding of the reason of marriage leads to false expectations, which inevitably leads to disappointment, frustration, disillusionment, and more. And we end up like poor old Eugene who showed up to the funeral thinking it was a birthday party. Now, I am in no way implying that a marriage is a funeral. <laughs> but it is certainly not your birthday where everything is just about you. So what is it about? Well, I'll tell you this much. Movies, great rom-coms and dramas and novels and magazines and TikTok and Facebook cannot Tell us the meaning of marriage. If we want to know the meaning of marriage, we must look to the creator of marriage himself. Only God can tell us what marriage is truly about. So here are five reasons for marriage according to the principles of scripture. Number one, marriage is intended to image God. To be married is to exist in relationship. 
To exist in relationship is to actually exist like God exists. Let me explain. Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here we see that God himself is a relational being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And that humanity images God best in relationship with one another. The image of God is best seen in male and female existing together in relational harmony. Say harmony. Harmony. That is marriage. After all, when we read the creation account, a solitary Adam was the only thing in all of creation that God declared as not good. And so he created woman because people cannot bear the divine image in solitude, nor can one gender bear the divine image without the other. But it is not the coexistence just the coexistence of the husband and wife that is intended to image God, but the oneness of the husband and wife, as it said in our passage in Ephesians, the two shall become one. The oldest and most used prayer in all of uh, Israel's history is the Lord our God, he is one. Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17. I pray, Father, that they will be one even as you and I are one. We often only apply this to our brothers and sisters out there. When we do this, we make a grave mistake forgetting that our first brother and sister is the one that we are married to. We ought to do all that we can then to keep the unity with them. Friends, listen, we don't just work to stay married, but to stay united. Because how many of you know that you can be married and just become glorified roommates. If you've been married for any time at all, you've probably gone through seasons where it kind of feels like that. But God didn't intend us to just live together, but to be emotionally, relationally, and physically connected. Every day then we have a choice in marriage to make our goal either connection or distance. And one of those two goals will determine then how we act toward the other, how we treat them, how quickly we do things like forgive, how we use our words, etc. But connection takes courage. As my lovely wife said to me when I was preparing this part of the sermon, it takes courage for wives and husbands to continually turn toward each other and entrust their minds, hearts, and bodies to one another, especially when we are so prone to hurt each other. But when we fight for connection and keep it, it images Father, Son, and Spirit and how Father, Son, and Spirit are connected. And it reminds us that we were intended to have that connection with God, which is why I think it is so dang uh, gratifying and satisfying when we experience that kind of connection with our spouses because this is how God designed it, to have Jesus at the center and us connecting to one another with him right there in the middle. This is how God designed it. He, was, he designed us for connection. And in this, we image God. 
The second reason for marriage I'd like to point out is that marriage is intended to display the gospel and goodness of God. As the scriptures say from our passage, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Friends, did you know that when you treat your spouse in the way that Christ has treated you, it puts on display the gospel? And it actually does this first to our spouse. You can show your spouse Jesus when you treat them as he has treated you. For instance, Jesus gave up his life for us, right? When we lay down our lives and our, our rights and our, our, our plan and our you know, thing in the argument, we are actually demonstrating how Jesus has laid down his life for us. You know, when, uh, when we experience the goodness of God, it has a way of transforming us, just all by itself. You experience God's goodness and it begins to transform us. Well, part of how your spouse can actually experience the goodness of God is by you treating them like God has treated you in Christ. We have the power to reflect the gospel and goodness of God back to our spouse. Marriage was also, though, as we often talk about, intended to display the gospel and goodness of God to the world around us. For instance, you, you may never uh, preach with words to your family, but every time they see you extend grace and mercy to your spouse, your actions actually preach the grace and mercy of God, which is our motivation in the first place. When we look at another verse in Ephesians 5 or Ephesians 4 where it says, we forgive one another because Christ has forgiven us. Marriage is intended then to display the goodness and gospel of God. The next one we could actually do a whole series on, but I'm just going to briefly mention it. Um, marriage ushers in the next generation. Number three, the third reason is marriage ushers in the next generation. This should be no surprise to us, right? Uh, it says in Genesis 1:28, then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Jesus said something similar before he ascended into heaven. He said, go out and make disciples of all nations. Go out and multiply. It's the same kind of language. Our call as believers married or not, is to teach people who Jesus is and to help them find him. But for those of us who are parents, the first place we do this is with our children. So this goes for couples who have kids naturally or couples who adopt. It goes for single parents or even a single person who may adopt. We have the privilege and responsibility of discipling our children to Jesus. I should mention here that for the couple who is unable to have children, um, that does in no way make your marriage somehow less legitimate or less valuable. God is sovereign over the womb. If and when he grants you children, raise them up in the ways of God. Until then, this commission from Jesus applies to all of us. Go forth and make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to every living creature. The next reason for marriage, number four, is that marriage exposes our weak spots in order to restore 
and sanctify us. Somebody say, ouch. (laughs) Marriage exposes our weak spots in order to restore and sanctify us. Hey, you guys back by the tent, can you hear me okay when I just talk like a normal volume? You good? Okay, cool. I feel like I'm quiet, but I, no problem. Marriage exposes our weak spots in order to restore and sanctify us. First Thessalonians says that this is the will of God. You want to know the will of God? Your sanctification. Somebody say sanctification. sanctification. Acts 3 says that someday Jesus will return and restore all things. Somebody say restoration. restoration. Sanctification and restoration. When we are saved, we are instantaneously born again. Say instantaneously. But sanctification and restoration are a process. Say a process. Sanctification is the process of making us more like Jesus. Restoration is the process of restoring to us that which was taken from us because of the fall. This is God's intention that all things will be restored to us at the end of time. Your spouse was given to you to be a source of both sanctification and restoration, both healing and refining. And in the process of both, our weak spots are exposed. You may look at a huge overpass over a freeway and see no structural flaws in it. Little cars are driving by, no problem. Upon closer inspection, though, you may find uh, hairline fractures throughout the overpass, but still nothing to be overly concerned about. That is until a 10-ton Mack truck drives across it, exposing and increasing and expanding those hairline fractures. We all enter into marriage with weak spots. Some are caused by things that have been done to us. Some caused by things that we ourselves have done. And some just because we were born into a a sinful, fallen world with a sin nature. Our friends growing up, and even in early adulthood or whatever, may not have really even noticed them. Your family, because they lived in closer proximity, probably saw them, but they were like, it's not the end of the world, hairline fractures. But then you get married. And living in that kind of proximity to someone with that kind of relational connectivity creates pressure that exposes and expands those weak spots. This is actually by design so that these things can be healed, not avoided or brushed under the carpet. Can you imagine if somebody saw those weak spots in the bridge cracking after the pressure of the truck and said, hurry, somebody cover them up. Of course, the bridge would eventually crumble. You also wouldn't blame the truck for exposing the cracks. You might even be thankful to the pressure of the truck that exposed the need for a restoration. Similarly, we can actually begin to be thankful for even the hardest things in marriage when we start to see that maybe God allowed them in order to bring a deeper healing and restoration. God doesn't want us to crumble. He wants to restore us. A personal example 
quickly comes to mind about me, um, which is what personal means. Uh, for, for years, I would um, become angry when Emily would go out with friends and then come home later than she said she was going to without calling. I, and it would feel irrational, quite frankly, that I would respond how I did. And I felt like I, I couldn't help it. I, I tried praying more and um, trying harder, but nothing helped for 16 years. I felt like Paul, you know, in Romans 7, where he's like, why do I de- keep doing the things that I don't want to do? And the things that I really want to do, I can't do them. And then he says, who can deliver me from this body of death? My deliverance finally began just a couple of years ago when the Holy Spirit and a Christian therapist helped me understand that this anger was actually uh, a symptom of a deeper issue, namely um, some trauma that was living in my body from childhood, which created a deep fear of me being abandoned by those closest to me. Emily didn't cause the anger because she was like disrespecting me or something. And it also wasn't as simple as me just needing more self-control or something. The anger was a symptom of deep brokenness in me. And God wanted to heal it. And so in his love, he allowed the pressure of situations in our marriage to expose this so that we could begin to heal it together. God doesn't want to leave us like we are. He sees the glorified version of us and wants to bring us toward that. It's like the gold in the fire, right? The heat actually brings the impurities of the gold to the top so that you can remove it. God uses the heat of marriage to expose our impurities so they can be removed. Now, let me be clear. That refiner's fire is not something like abuse from your spouse or unrepentant sin from your spouse or infidelity. If you find yourself in that kind of a situation today, I am, that is not what I'm talking about. Please, please reach out and get help. Please ask someone for help today. So we all enter into marriage with different types of brokenness and sinfulness. God doesn't want to leave us like that. So in his love, he brings us a spouse, which is often God's primary, listen, your spouse is often God's primary tool in your life of sanctification and restoration. And that is a gift to be received, not a curse to be avoided. We must remember that God's primary goal is not necessarily our happiness, but our holiness. The irony is that when we are made holy, we actually become more happy. And like we will see in part two of this, when we actually take the low road to serve our spouse, there is actually more joy in that than looking to be served. And when we are both becoming more like Jesus, when becoming more like Jesus is the mutual goal, like this this image up here, right? The husband and wife and Jesus at the top. Our connection with one another actually grows as sanctification and restoration in Jesus take place. And the last reason for marriage that I'd like us to see, number five, is that marriage is intended to cause the glory of my spouse to come forth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone and, he, uh, and a new life has begun. This is what happens when we put our trust in Jesus. Our position, listen, our position and identity are transformed. But practically speaking, God is still restoring everything. Say everything. God is still restoring everything about us. God put you in your spouse's life to help them become the fullest, most complete, God-glorifying version of themselves. In the same way that God wants to restore you, he wants to restore your spouse. And yes, some of that will come through pressure and fire and difficult rough patches. You are not to initiate the pressure or the fire or the rough patches. They're gonna happen all by themselves, trust me. But there is another part to this that you should initiate. God wants to use you to uncover, if you will, the beauty and glory of who God made your spouse to be. Tim Keller, again, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, talks about it like this. Within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. This is so good. Listen, it is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I wanna be a part of that. Each spouse should see the great thing that Jesus is doing in the life of their mate and should give him or herself to be a vehicle for that work and envision the day that you will stand together before God, seeing each other presented in spotless beauty and glory. Isn't that good? When Michelangelo was asked how he carved his magnificent David, he said, I looked inside the marble and just took away the bits that weren't David. This is our job, to see who our spouse can and will be and to participate in helping to bring that forth. And just like Michelangelo with his David, it must be done with the uttermost gentleness and care. You know, the first job given to humanity was to cause flourishing in what God had given to Adam and Eve. This is actually our job in marriage, to cause flourishing in our spouse, to do whatever must be done to cause them to flourish. And this actually makes the heart glad. We come into marriage thinking, oh, I gotta get gratified. But the way up to happiness is actually down to serving the good of the other. When I see my wife flourishing and I was able to participate in that, dude, my, that joy is so great. When she's able to do that to me and she does it so good, she has been my champion who has championed me my entire life that I've known her. It brings joy to her. And in this, when we are mutually doing it, we then are just responding to one another saying, no, I wanna make you flourish. And she's like, no, I wanna make you flourish. And pretty soon we're this flourishing fossil of trees in this garden of love producing fruit for the glory of God, right? Amen, you can clap for that, I mean. Marriage can truly become a great source of joy when we see that these are the reasons for it. It can set you free from things like disappointment and frustration. 
I'd like to uh, ask my wife to come up right now. Give some love to Emily Bally, everybody. Hi, sweetheart. Hi, good morning. Got to turn that on. Just hold it down for a couple seconds. Good morning. Hi. Hi. You're cute. You're cute. Um, listen, I don't know where you are found in your marriage today, but Emily and I have experienced the highs and lows um, in every year of the last 18 years of our marriage for different reasons. And uh, we are here today to say that God um, can restore anything, even stuff that comes from like deep, deep, deep far away that isn't necessarily because of like your spouse. God can restore that too. And in a little bit, we're going to be over here to pray uh, for anybody along with the rest of our prayer team. But as I was finishing prepping last night and when I was leaving this morning, I was like, hey, babe, I'm just going to call you up at the end. And if you want to say something, you can say something. I don't know if she wants to say anything. So I brought her up at a bare minimum to hold my hand. And because she's cute. Uh, but, baby, you want to say something before we? Okay. Um, I, yeah, I'm ready for harvest time, guys. I got my, got my overalls on. Okay. Beside the point, um... What a gnarly topic this was to see Dom work through and come to a put-together sermon. Baby, you did a really good job. You did a really good job putting together a sermon on marriage. Very good job, baby. That's difficult to do. But when I was listening and when I was sitting here, I was realizing, man, there is nothing in us that meets those purposes of marriage 100%. Nothing in us can meet that 100%. And I've seen... Over the years, God transforming us and sanctifying us, but we are far from perfect. And I just want to include all of us in this circle that there is a shape that is only God-sized mm. in all of us. That's right. You guys know this. There's only the Lord himself can fulfill in our hearts that our spouse can't and to cause flourishing, and to reflect Jesus, and to spur each other on. That is a miraculous thing, and I fall short. Dom falls short, and not just in marriage, but in my life. My one accountability is to the Lord, and my one accountability is to my God, and everybody on earth, we've fallen short. We've fallen short of perfectly meeting that that perfection. We don't have that in us. And all of us need that restoration and that rescuing. So I, I'm, I'm standing before you today saying, not perfect, not perfect and need Jesus. And I know that there are many of us here that just need a reset and to need that recommitment and to need that re-perspective aligning of not perfect, need Jesus. Whether that's in your marriage, whether that's for the first time and you're like, Whatever that guy with the dreadlocks was talking about, my palms are sweaty and my heart is racing because I know that I fall short and I need Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to be somebody that was invisible right here on earth. We don't see him anymore. He stayed in the grave. No, he rose from the dead. He was sent to this earth to rescue us from our that hole that's in us. He, he came to rescue us 
and give that, that life, that life everlasting. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he brought that great hope, that hope is for you. That hope is for me. And this morning, if there's a hope in you that feels lacking, I'm inviting you today. I'm inviting you today to meet this Jesus, to let him come and rescue that emptiness inside of you, that falling short, and for you to stand up and say, not perfect. So if you have that desire in your heart and you're saying, I, not perfect, I need a savior beyond myself. I want you to stand up right now. If you want to say, Jesus, I need you. I don't understand everything that those people are saying, but I need it. I want you to stand to your feet. It's okay if it's embarrassing and it's okay. I know you're sweaty. I was back there too. I was hot. But if you want to give your life to Jesus, we see you. This is for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Jesus is ready to meet you. When you stand up and say, not perfect, need Jesus. That is the day that you have hope restored and you have purpose restored. Now, I also wanna invite married couples. If you need a reset button, if you need to stand up and just say, you know what, I hear you. I hear the falling short in my own accountability before the Lord, not looking at my spouse and saying, baby, you better stand up. But saying, you know what, me before the Lord, accountable before the Lord, I need a reset button and I need to say not perfect. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with us? We're standing with you saying we are imperfect and we need a reset button on marriage. We need Jesus to come in and bring that truth, that fulfillment, that only that he can bring and he can fulfill. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for us. If you stood today because... You want to receive Jesus, this free gift of life. You can still stand right now if you didn't stand. I want all of us to repeat this prayer first, and I want to pray for the marriages. If you need Jesus today for salvation, for your sins to be forgiven, for your name to be written in his book in heaven, for you to have eternal life. I know one young woman to my right already stood. If there's anybody else, go ahead and stand up. Either way, let's all together repeat after me. Say, God, you sent your son because I needed a savior. I turn to him now. I turn from my running away and I run to you. Forgive me of my sin. Write my name in your book. I wanna follow you. I wanna be healed and whole. I know that comes from you. Give me your power now to follow you and tell others about you. And if you stood up because you were a married couple who needs the power of God, if you didn't, go ahead and stand up. And if you are like, gosh, I need the power of God in our, our life. I, I want to stand up because of, I want to reset things. I want to recommit to my spouse and to God. If you haven't already stood up, stand up. Let me pray for you. Put out your hands as if you're receiving something. Lord, we pray for these marriages now. That your Holy Spirit would fall upon them. That life would enter back in. Band, you could come up on stage. That 
uh, love for you first would be awakened in their hearts. That hope would arise in their hearts. Not because of what they can find in their spouse, but because of what you can do. Thank you that our marriage is a testament to going through deep, dark valleys and having high, fun mountaintops and you never leaving us and us coming out better for it on the other side. Thank you that you are able to do unbelievable miracles today beyond anything we could imagine. We ask that you would do that. As we enter into this second set, uh, Emily and I are gonna be over here to my left. There's a prayer team sign right there. There's gonna be other couples, other singles. Get prayer today if you are struggling in your marriage or if you're like, dude, we just, I'm confused in marriage. I'm feeling disappointed. It's just been hard. It's just been hard. You walking over there doesn't say like, oh, he's got a, a, a porn addiction or oh, she always nags me. Or maybe it does say he's got a porn addiction or she can't stop nagging me. But it, it, there's a, a range. There's a range from like, we're killing and everything's amazing to the entire world is falling apart, okay? We wanna pray for anybody in that range. There's gonna be prayer team people wearing green shirts, lanyards, buy that prayer team sign over there. If you're on the prayer team, please head over there right now and back by that prayer team sign. Otherwise, let's, uh, let's worship the Lord. If you need to ask for forgiveness from your spouse, do that right now. Do that right now. If you need to extend forgiveness, if you need to extend forgiveness, do that right now. This is what Christ has done for us. We don't wait even for the person to, to get their stuff together because Jesus didn't do that for us. He didn't wait for us to get his stuff together. He offered us forgiveness and love before we even chose to follow him. Let's do that now.